Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. Hi, I'm Dan Krinas, host of the Leader of Learning Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to episode 96 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And today we've got a variety of things to talk about, including Jamboard. Not sure if you've heard very much about Jamboard, but this is a really cool app that lets you do some visual thinking. And I'll tell you this, if you love whiteboards and you love sticky notes, you're going to love this app. And it turns out that Jamboard is not necessarily just a piece of hardware that you have to buy. There's a really cool app that you and your students can use, and it's totally free. You can use it on your devices. It's pretty great. That's what we're going to be digging into today. We will also have some Google News and updates, as always. We also have feedback from our listeners, including a solution to a question we asked in a previous episode. I'll let you hang on on that one, and a couple of blog posts to get to. So, Casey, you ready to get started? Let's do this. So let's jump into our Google news and updates here. We have a lot of interesting things coming from Google. In fact, I think Matt's got something particularly different than our normal (laughs) type of post that he's going to share. But I'm going to kick things off with something a little more practical. It's called using personal experience to make Chromebooks accessible. And if you haven't been paying attention, Google seems to have invested a lot of time and energy recently to making Chrome in particular more accessible to those who need special features. And so this month, which I didn't know this until I read this in the article, is the Disability Awareness Month. So I think that's where they're kicking things off is just to help promote some of the new accessibility features in Chromebooks. And what this article is all about is actually an interview with someone who uses technology in his career, David Sang. So David is a blind Googler, and he is leading the creation of these features that make 
Chromebook better for users with disabilities, including the Chromevox feature, which enables blind and low vision users to navigate the screen with audio spoken feedback or with their connected Braille display. So he finds this personally meaningful to him because it's something that he actually needs and uses in his day-to-day work. So I feel like this is a really eye-opening thing that we see from Google, the fact that they have users who know what it's like to be in that experience, creating these types of resources and features to help all of the Chromebook users. He also uses um, dictation on the Chromebook, which allows him just to voice type everything. And there's something interesting that I hadn't heard of yet. It's called automatic clicks. And so this is really going to help dramatically improve some user experiences where you can set it to have the cursor automatically click or take action when they leave it on a certain spot on the screen for a certain amount of time. So it doesn't require that clicking action. It's just sort of a time-based action. And I think that could be really helpful. So no matter where you are in the classroom, you know, we all have different types of learners. And I think the Chromebook offers a lot of different ways for us to differentiate and to help those who need this special assistance and use these accessibility features. So thank you, Google. In this post, I was just exposed to something that I had never seen before, and that was um, this Braille bar that he has. It's like right below, sitting on his desk, right in front of the keyboard, and it's got all of these, you know, obviously little dots that come and go, and he's able to to read using that. And I, I mean, it it talked about a, a what did they say, a connected Braille display. I'd never seen one until just now. So um, there's a picture of that right in there. If that's worth checking out for you too. So um, this one, this is the, the post that Casey was referencing earlier. Um, so obviously, Google's big product is search. You know, search is, is kind of like the key to their entire business plan. Every year, it seems they look at what people search for the most. And in this case, they kind of narrowed it down to what are some of the big life questions that people ask that come up in search. Just give yourself a a little split second here to think. What are some of the big life questions that you think people might ask Google to answer for them? One is, is there anybody out there? Number two, what does it mean to be British? Which is interesting. Um, (laughs) Just that I, I just didn't expect that one, you know, I... I I don't know. I guess people might ask here in the United States, what does it mean to be American or what does it mean to be from the United States? I just, I don't know. I didn't expect that one. Number three, how do you know you're in love? Number four, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Number five, do I have free will? And then number six, what if I fail? So those are some of the the big questions. And instead of Google just you know returning search results, um, they used uh, Google Arts and Culture. Yay, Google Arts and Culture! Yay, yay, Google Arts and Culture! Yay, yay! Uh, teaming up with BBC Arts, and they produced this sort of collaboration called "You Asked, Art Answered." And they paired up each of these um, searches. Uh, they paired up 
artist from the UK. Maybe these search results will pro- were pulled from the UK. I don't know, but six UK artists from different fields, including visual arts, poetry, choreography, and they had their own interpretation for each one of them. So if you want to go check it out, there are videos and um, you know images and different things like that through throughout all of those. If you want to go check that out, but um, you know, I think that this ties nicely into education because we want kids to be able to ask questions and, you know, and ask their own questions and to dive deeply into them. And this is just another example of how people are actually asking authentic questions and that there are different answers than just what shows up in Google search. So I thought this was a really sort of an interesting piece. And, you know, when you were talking about the the power of the Google search and that's their, their main product, it got me thinking about how I have to explain what I do to the outside world. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when I mention that I teach Google, all they think that I teach is why do you have to teach that? Or like, (laughs) you know, that it's a lot of the outside world who doesn't know about all of the other things that Google does, thinks that Google is just a search engine. And I feel like my frame of mind has changed so much just because I'm in and out of it all day long and using all different kinds of products. So um, it is it is funny when people just kind of make that assumption. Oh, Mm -hmm. so you teach people how to use it, how to do a Google. Yeah, I do that, too. But (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) there's more. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, I've got one more quick update to share with you. And this has to do with Google Hangouts Meet meetings. I wish we didn't say meet meetings. Here we are. We're talking about meet again. And <laughs> the, meet, uh, <laughs> the meet app. You remember yeah. the meet app? Yeah. So here's what's, here's what's happening. They basically upped the number of participants you can have. Um, don't be fooled by the title, which says you can host with up to 250. That's for enterprise. That is not for um, Google for Education. But Google for Education is getting bumped up to 100 person meetings. So if you have access to that and you have, you know, maybe a training or something that you're broadcasting out to your your campus, you can have several people in there. I know it's very limiting um, not that long ago, but to be able to have that many people is a big boost. So that is the Google Hangouts update. Yeah, definitely. That's that's a, a really cool feature. And then, of course, within uh, Hangouts Meet, you still have the ability to uh, turn on streaming and broadcast to you know thousands of people. It's just they're not participating. So, yeah, lots of uh, there's been lots of expansion on that, which is cool. And so we're going to wrap this section up with a little piece about um, this is a this is a post that focuses on Pixel Google's phone, which I know is not like a perfect connection to. Um, to education, but I think there are some connections here. So you've got um, photographer Annie Leibovitz, and um, she has teamed up with Google. And instead of using a sort of like a regular manual camera, you know, like a SLR single lens reflex camera that a lot of pro photographers use, um, she has agreed to take all of these portraits um, and a variety of different kinds of pictures using a pixel and then to publish them. What's what's cool about this, I think, is that this goes to show, of course, you can see all of the pictures that she took and what it looks like in a pixel. I think that's probably why Google put this out there. They want you to see all of that. But to me, what this says is that, um, you know, our our students don't we don't have to get them in front of a whole bunch of big, expensive, complicated equipment to create 
um, cool stuff anymore. You know, we don't have to necessarily buy, in this case with photography, we don't have to buy a bunch of film and get these, uh, you know, fancy cameras or these days the DSLR, you know, the digital versions of these cameras is that the, the cameras on phones and even within webcams are so good these days that we can really create cool stuff. And every once in a while, I still have people that will say, well, what kind of webcam should I get? What kind of camera should I get? And I'm going, you know, as far as webcams go, if there's one embedded in your device, go with that. And if you've got a newer smartphone, like I've got a Pixel 3, and I absolutely adore the camera on it, and I, I own a digital SLR camera, and I don't use it all that much. I use it whenever I need to zoom way in. I'll use the telephoto lens on it. But other than that, I'm using my Pixel because it's in my pocket, you know? So, I mean, that goes for iPhones and for a lot of the other really good uh, smartphones out there. Um, so I think to me, that just reminds me that the technology that students have within the devices that we give them often is getting better and better. And there's, um, there's a lot that they can create just with that. And I think, you know, having a legendary photographer like Annie Leibovitz using a smartphone to take pictures, I think that that tells us a lot. So anyway, uh, lots of stuff that we've covered here. Of course, you can go read it for yourself if you'd like or check out any of our links at our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 96. So Tribe, if you haven't heard a lot about Jamboard, today is your day. Now, when I very first heard about Jamboard, the first thing I thought of was the device, meaning the interactive display, you know, kind of like it's almost like when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, this sounds like Google's getting into the like smart board, Promethean board type of um, world. And to some extent, that's true. You know, they do have Jamboard devices that are the, that are interactive displays that you can use. But one thing that has intrigued me since this whole thing started is that there is a Jamboard app or a Jamboard kind of like a, you know, a tool within Google that's called Jamboard. And this app is available to pretty much anybody who uses Google. So you can use Jamboard as well. And within it, if you get it as a mobile app or if you just access it through your browser, it's it basically creates what's almost like a whiteboard on your screen. And from there, there's a variety of things that you can do with it. You can stick little sticky notes on it. Um, if you have a touch screen, which would be, you know, either your smartphone or tablet or like a touch screen Chromebook, or even if you have any sort of interactive display like a smart board or Promethean board or a Jamboard, um, you know, you can draw right on top of it. You can pull in pictures in a white, there's a wide variety of things that you can do with it. And, um, what I really love about it is that it does give you that blank open space for interacting with content and interacting with people kind of all in the same place. And it really does kind of feel like that whiteboard on the wall. And it's just like you or a small group of people looking at that whiteboard, everybody with a marker in hand and a stack of sticky notes in the other hand. And you're able to just kind of like throw your ideas up there and move them around. And, um, you know, I think there's there's been a handful of teachers um, I've seen that have started to use this a little bit in the classroom. 
and there's a lot of potential for it. Um, you know, especially with some of the the features that the app has and what you're able to do with it, right, Casey? Yes, and I have to I have to add a little personal story in here. So, I recently purchased a new iPad and gasp. I have not I have not really had any interest in the iPad over the last few years. In fact, you and I have had conversations about how we're not asked for iPad training anymore right. and everything's so focused on Chromebooks. But for the past year or so, I've been really just intrigued with the iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil and the capabilities of using that as a personal device. I would I would love to see these in the hands of students, but yeah, they're they're crazy expensive. And that has opened my eyes to doing a lot of things. I'm sort of obsessed with this new iPad, by the way. It's <laughs> it's pretty awesome. And the pencil is unbelievably smooth. I mean, it's just, it, I, am, I am doodling, I am drawing, I am taking notes, I'm doing all kinds of things. And it also prompted me to take another look at Jamboard. I'm like, okay, because we do have that ability to draw, to write in Jamboard that's you know, it's great on, on a regular device. You can't add text to, you know, text boxes and bring other things in, but on your touch screen, I think it kind of takes it up a level. So whether you have an iPad or a touchscreen Chromebook, I think it's definitely something that gives it another type of advantage. And, you know, you and I have both talked a lot about the power of, you know, visual thinking and bringing that to life and being able to handwrite, you know, there's a lot of research even just with handwriting notes versus typing notes and how we retain that information. So that's, that's sort of where my spark was coming from. And when you said, Hey, let's talk about Jamboard today. I'm like, yeah, I've been playing with it. So there are a lot of really cool features in the, just like we said, we're just talking about the app really. I don't have my hands on a piece of hardware. Google, if you're listening, I'd love to have one if you want to give me <laughs> yeah, one, but right. I have a feeling that's Package not going to Package them up, send two of them out, send one to Indiana, one to Texas. We'll be in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As much, as much free promotion as we give you, it would be a great little surprise, but we don't have our hands on the actual device. But playing around with Jamboard, I, I do feel like the touchscreen gives it, it's, it's a tangible type of application. And so we can handwrite, we can draw, we can doodle, we can import files from Google Drive. But I think hands down, the number one thing that we should think about for Jamboard is the collaboration. That's how I see this app coming together is because not only can we do all of these things, we can do them together as a group or as a partnership. And we can brainstorm together. I also love the fact that when I compare this with maybe some collaborative meetings that I've done or collaborative work in school, that oftentimes we end up with 20 million tabs open. You know, I'm talking, hey, open this resource. I've got this slide deck that has this in here. Let's go back and look at this. And so we're opening all these files. And then we're like, okay, yeah, we can put them all in a folder in Google Drive. But we can't see them all in a collaborative fashion. And that's what Jamboard brings together. You can import your files from Google Drive. You can even import a slide deck and then click and drag to move one slide out into the jam so that you can talk about that. Or maybe you've got a visual there and everybody wants to revise it. You can do so many things that are really powerful, including something that this this person right here needs, Casey needs, 
the, some of the accessibility tools. <laughs> and when you go into your jam, you'll have, see that there are some accessibility drawing tools, including built-in auto draw. And you've heard us talk about auto draw in, I'm sure several times on the, on the Google teacher tribe. And what that does is it allows you to begin drawing what, what it is that you're thinking of. And it will try to predict using some machine learning what it is you're actually drawing. And since, um, it barely recognized that I was drawing a cup, <laughs> I really needed that extra oomph there to help get me going. So um, you, it will also detect shapes. So if you want a perfect square or the text, although I had some problems getting the, the um, automatic text recognition to recognize the correct words. In fact, Casey, the K and Casey always came out as an R. Yeah, and I've gotten to play around with it a little bit too, um, using a, a couple of different um, interactive displays as well as the touchscreen on my um, on my own device, and I've used it on the um, on my phone as well. And you know, believe it or not, there are parts of using it on the phone that I like a lot. For instance, whenever I'll add a new sticky note onto one of the pages of your Jamboard, which, by the way. Um, when I said pages of your Jamboard, I kind of like to think of it as those uh, kind of like the chart paper that you have in the front of meetings sometimes. You know, those great big, um, you know, those great big pieces of paper on a chart uh, because Jamboard gives you a screen, which looks like a whiteboard, but it's kind of like pages. So you can have different screens, different pages and have different information on each one. So think about it whenever you flip to a new page. It's like taking a page off of that great big uh, chart paper at the front of the room. But one of the things that I like about using Jamboard on my phone is that I'll add a sticky note and then I can use the dictation on my phone. You know, with um, a lot of smartphones, you've got that little microphone within your um within your keyboard and it'll just take dictation. And so I've found that sometimes, you know, when I'm on the go or if I'm trying to get information down quickly into one of these little sticky notes, sometimes using the dictation feature is, is just as easy. And then I've also found on my phone, if I want to jot something down really quickly, just drawing it with my finger is, is kind of a, a nice way to go. Um, but when you start to think about how you could use this in class, I've, I've got to totally back Casey up on this one. I think the collaborative piece is really, really cool because you can collaborate in real time. And so you can have multiple pe people in on the same jam, um, you know, moving notes around, moving images around, drawing on different parts, highlighting other parts. And, you know, just being able to work together like that is is a really cool thing. And then when you start to think about how you could use it in class, you know, I, I think this is... Um, you know, th this makes a lot of sense to do um, graphic organizers. In fact, uh, Jamboard does allow you to change the background, kind of like, you know, we we just talked actually in last week's episode talking about templates. We were talking about setting the background as something immovable. You could do that with Jamboard as well. So, um, you know, brainstorming and pre-writing and, you know, organizing the way that your research paper is supposed to go, um, you know, jotting down findings in a science lab. I mean, there's there's just a variety of things that that you can do with this. And of course, if you have a touchscreen device, especially if you have something like a touchscreen Chromebook or a laptop or or some sort of device like that, that's going to put you in an advantage because you can write with your finger or you can write with a stylus. 
Um, and I think you don't even have to have a fancy stylus. Uh, you know, you can just use one on the back of a pen or, um, or whatever. But, um, what's cool too, is that, um, we've got a link to the, um, the teacher center within Google that's got a whole bunch of, uh, Jamboard activities in here. And so if you start flipping through some of them, you know, there's, there's one where they're doing a diagram, um, about the earth's rotation. There's another one called the living environment tattoo. It says you're in charge of developing a tattoo on Jamboard to raise awareness for the, uh, for the assigned term. So you've got to kind of, that's more of like a focus on a drawing one. You've got other ones where you're like solving right triangles, you know, where you, where you draw in the triangles and then you've got to solve. So it's kind of like a, you know, a, a space for, for working like that. Um, there's another one that says create your own dot plot where you take kind of like a survey of the class and then you, you plot it on the, on the jam board. So, um, Another thing that I think is really cool that I don't see very much in these um, examples is that you can pull pictures in. And so annotation on top of pictures is is definitely something that you can do. So, um, you know, I'm real big on adding like speech bubbles and thought bubbles to things. You could do that. Um, of course, there's labeling. Um, the sky's the limit with this. I mean, it really is sort of a creative canvas where you can just kind of turn students loose. And just just go do a, a variety of things. And in case we haven't mentioned it, if you've never found Jamboard, which by the way, it is officially part of the core suite of applications in G Suite for Education. So you should have access to it. If not, you may need to talk to your Google admin and see why they might be holding it back if you want to play around with it. Of course, you can go to jamboard.google.com and start a new jam to start playing. And as as Matt was saying, there are tons of resources online in the Google Teacher Center, including those sample activities that he was sharing there. And they, they are pretty awesome. They've had some great contributions here for all of the four core areas and ways that you can use Jamboard in the classroom. So I really appreciate that because I kind of feel like Jamboard really was initially created for the business world. And so sometimes it takes us a while to figure out how's it, how's this going to translate, but we have a free teacher center that is loaded with a free quick start guide, those sample exercises, and a Jamboard guide. There's overview videos so you can see. Some of these are about the hardware side, but a lot of this is going to translate, and there are a lot of resources for teachers. So they have an entire teacher's lounge of videos that are designed to help you learn how to use the app. And, you know, how to use the web version, how to assign jam files in Google Classroom, how to add those backgrounds that we were talking about, how to add drive files, how to draw angles. Math teachers, you can rejoice. You can draw those angles and, you know, things like pre-writing other ideas. You can see those illustrated in these videos. And of course, as I mentioned, this is from the Google for Education Teacher Center where they have lots of free training on different apps. And I really appreciate the fact that they have created this for Jamboard. There's there's not a lot for every single application out there. So I think they're really investing in trying to get teachers on board to see the power of this in your classroom. So there are a lot of great ways to use this. I'm sure some of you out there have even 
more ideas that you can share with us. And we would love to know if you can share, how are you using the Jamboard app in your classroom? What success have you had? What tips do you have? And leave us a voice message at googleteachertribe.com. We would love to hear from you. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. Okay, Matt, are you ready to jump into the mailbag? Oh, Casey, I already jumped in the mailbag. <laughs> I'm we, already there. You're there? Okay. Well, it might get a little creepy if I'm jumping oh, yeah, in, that, too. I so. didn't even think about that when I said it. <laughs> <laughs> it just went down the wrong path, y'all. But we we love reading your messages. We love especially getting the voice messages so we can hear your voice and hear where you're from and know exactly what you're struggling with or sharing those fabulous ideas that you have. So our first message comes to us from Jennifer Grimm, and she is from Kentucky. So take it away, Jennifer. Hi, Casey and Matt. This is Jennifer Grimm from Mayfield, Kentucky. I'm an avid fan of the podcast and also have both of your books uh, signed from where you visited Murray State University. I have um, uh, one that might stump you here, and I'm really needing a lot of help. So we need, we have 650 students, and I need to force a copy of a Leader in Me folder with subfolders inside it and documents. And I cannot find a way to force the copy. So I've uh, Googled it and I've looked through your podcast and through the books and I'm not finding a good way to do that. So if you could solve this problem for me, that would be fantastic. Thank you so much. And I look forward to your podcast every week. Okay, Jennifer. Well, you are not alone. This is a question I have received many times. And I hate to tell you, there is not a quick and easy solution to force a copy of an entire folder. So other people listening may have a fabulous solution. And if you do, please share that with us. But as I was reading this, I remembered that many years ago, I had used a Chrome extension that would allow you to plug in the link to the file folder and make that copy. And so we are talking about that force a copy feature, not copying your own folders. You can copy your own folders to your heart's content in Google Drive, but copying other people's folders is a little bit different. And sometimes you do need that copy and not just that add to drive. Remember, add to drive is just going to let you organize those things that have been shared with you, but they're, they still don't belong to you and you can't manipulate and, and change those. So these are a little bit different. And we've all had reasons. We've collected things. We've got sets of templates. We've got certain things we want to share with teachers and we want them to make that copy of the entire folder. And it's not so easy. So I was playing around, as I told Matt, I went into the GTT testing lab to (laughs) double check to see if my Chrome extension was still working. And uh, alas, I hit errors. So I tried it a couple of different ways. Of course, I was doing it on the fly. It may or may not work for you, but I have included the link to the copy folder extension in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 96. So that is one way. There are also other ways to 
use things like scripting in Google Sheets to force that. So if you want to get really technical or you want to become BFFs with uh, Alice Keeler, (laughs) she could probably help you with that too. But there is not a native way to do this inside Google Drive. I wish there was. In fact, this would be a great feature to request. But if anybody else has solutions, please let us know. We're always interested in hearing about those. So uh, the other entry we have in the mailbag comes from Craig Clement, a friend of the podcast, a a big supporter of my uh, Ditch Book Twitter community out there on Twitter. Craig is from Texas, and he was going to chime in with another solution related to Google Forms. When you want students to submit a Google Form, even if they're not totally done with a quiz or an assignment, so that they can come back to it later. And so, Craig, take that away. Hey, Casey and Matt, it's Craig Clement, and I was listening to your most recent episode, and I had an idea for Kelsey Jones on how students can finish a Google Form later um, if they ran out of time. So one thing I've helped teachers do um, is we put the Google Form in in Google Classroom, and then under the settings uh, for the form, there was two options that we had to select, limit to one response and edit after submit. This way, students could... Um, submit the form, but then the next day or we're on a block schedule. So two days later when they came back to class, they could go back to Google Classroom, click on the form link, and it would bring them right to where they left off. Now, one thing that we did run into was required questions um, because before a student can submit, they had to answer every required question. So you could do that and then just have an option for each answer of not finished yet or you could just we just turned the questions off to where they weren't required anymore. All right. So so yeah, that's that's kind of the the route that we we had talked about and I think that this is a really good a uh, really good idea. If you check that limit to one response and you check that edit after submit and when they jump back in then you should be in good shape. But um you know to for me the best part of this was um you know Craig suggesting that option within a question. If you have those required questions, A, of course, you can turn required questions off. Um, but you can also make an option that says not finished yet. And then that will remind the students, hey, I need to go back and do this. But it also flags it for the teacher, too, so that they know that that one's not done and they need to give the students more time. So. Good stuff all the way around. We love the mailbag entries. We love hearing your voices and all of the brilliance that you have um, that you're willing to share from your classroom and from your school. And so um, definitely head to googleteachertribe.com and leave us some voice feedback, either in the me- in the form of a tip or trick or a question or an idea or something that has succeeded in your classroom because we would love to hear it. All right, Tribe, a couple of blog posts, and then we are out of here. I want to tell you about one that's on the Ditch That Textbook blog. It's an it's an updated post, one that I wrote a little ways back that talks about the Ditch framework. You know, this is uh, something that uh, is a big part of my book and a lot of the trainings that I do and everything, you know, talking about Ditch being an acronym, uh, you know, my, mine being different, innovative, tech-laden, creative, and hands-on. 
And I, since I published this post a few years back, actually, um, what's been neat is over the years, I've been able to gather some teacher examples of how they teach that way, you know, of just being different than the other, cl- the other uh, classes that students may see, or being innovative and trying some new ideas, or being tech laden to integrate tech in meaningful ways, being creative to either teach creatively or give kids the opportunity to learn creatively. And then, of course, hands-on, um, you know, having all of these examples, it's always nice to see what other people are doing. And so in this uh, post that I'm linking up, we've uh, linked to a bunch of other blog posts and a bunch of practical ideas that total, if, uh, if we counted this correctly, more than 90 possible ideas of teaching in, you know, that, that ditch framework type of way. So if you want to go check that out, we've got a link for you there. And I have a couple of things I wanted to mention. One is I just updated a Google Doc that is called What is G Suite for Education? So I update this is probably more than once a year, but I want to make sure that teachers understand what exactly it is we're talking about. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you probably get it, but you probably also know there's still some teachers that think Google is just a search engine. (laughs) (laughs) So if you are interested in learning that or maybe helping other teachers understand G Suite for Education, including what I mentioned earlier about core services and Jamboard being on that list. So there's a little description of Jamboard and all of the other applications that are in there that can help you. And if you are interested in getting Google certified, you got to know this stuff. So that's another reason why I keep this up to date is I'm helping as many teachers as I can get Google certified. And I also wanted to share one other free resource that has to do with Google certification is my free ebook. That's the complete guide to Google certification. So You've heard Matt and I talk about our experience at the Google Innovator Academy, and we also talk about what it is to be a Google Certified Educator, Google Certified Trainer. And so if you're confused and you just want to know, hey, what is this mess and how do I do it? How hard is it? I've got a free ebook that you can download that will explain it all. And of course, we have links to all of these blog posts, everything that we've talked about today in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 96. Well, that wraps up episode 96 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Matt, we only have four more episodes before we hit 100. Oh my goodness, it's getting close. I'm so excited. Yes, so many things to celebrate, and it's all because of you, the listeners. You are part of the tribe that we love so much. So thank you so much for listening to today's episode and any other episodes. We would love it if you would click that subscribe button so that you get notified when new episodes are released every Monday. We love joining you for your morning run, for your workout, on your commute, wherever you take us. We feel like we're part of the journey. So thank you so much for listening listening today. And I hope that you learned some new things about Jamboard. Yes, me too. So we will see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Bye y'all.
Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power. And may the Googles be with you. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech Podcast.